Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. If you would, if you have your copy of Scripture, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 8. Psalms, chapter 8. I'll give you a moment to get there. Psalms, chapter 8. Meet you there in just a moment. Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen. Also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. And pray for us this morning. Father God, you are majestic, you are awesome, you are wonderful in all that you say and do and all that you are. We rejoice in that this morning. Pray now with the preaching of your word, your people would be fed and you would be glorified. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you here today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, however you celebrated it. And uh, glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. When have you seen someone have a really healthy perspective on life. When have you observed someone, maybe they face a great adversity, maybe they face something really personal or tough in their life, and man, you just saw in those moments, in that season of life, you saw them have a really healthy perspective. And I love seeing those kind of moments. I love observing people who, who do that, especially in life's toughest moments, that they can maintain that perspective. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. There was a, a, a man named uh, Samuel Bringle. He worked for the Salvation Army uh, in Boston a long time ago, and he was a pastor. And one night he was uh, passing down the street in Boston, and a couple of guys who had had too much to drink had a brick, and they threw it, and it hit him in the head. And uh, it almost, uh, he almost died from that, and he spent 18 months in recovery. During those 18 months, as he was slowly, slowly kind of getting back uh, to normal, he wrote this book called Helps to Holiness, and it became a, a really influential book to many Christians in that time period. And uh, his wife actually saved the brick that hit him in the head. I think that'd like be a weird conversation on the way home, like, really? Uh, She's like, no, the exposed brick, we're going to do it in the living room. Like, no, that could be weird. No, she saved the brick that hit him in the head, and she had this verse inscribed on it. You may be familiar with it. Genesis 50, 20 says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Because it was literally him taking that brick that kind of took him out of commission for a while that led him to write this book that became an encouragement to so many. And finally, when he was healthy enough to go start preaching again, he would go out and preach, and people would thank him for the book, and he would always say this in response. He would say, if there had been no little brick, there would, not, there would have been no little book. And what a healthy perspective to see that even something that looks so harmful and, and painful and a long process actually was something really positive. And I'm inspired when I see people have that kind of perspective. Um, and I've titled today's message, Practicing a Proper Perspective, because that's what Scripture gives us here in Psalm chapter 8. God is showing us what it really sounds like, what it really looks like for us to have a healthy view of the world around us and reality. And I can't think of a better way to kind of gear up to closing out the year, end of Thanksgiving, into the Christmas season to, to really keep a healthy perspective, because that's like the plot of every Christmas movie, right? Some character has, he's lost the true meaning of Christmas, right? Like that's every storyline. So how do we do it? To three things we can see in the text today. One, we call out to majesty. Two, we consider the creation. And three, we cherish the visit. We're going to get into each one of those. Additionally, I'll give you a content recommendation as well. Uh, it's a song called How Majestic by the band Citizens on their album, A Mirror Dimly. It comes straight out of Psalm chapter 8, uh, many of the lyrics of that song, and so I would commend that to you as well. All right, let's get into it. The first way we practice a proper perspective is call out to majesty. Go back to verse 1. How does David begin here? He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Let's just say this right up front. One of the best things that you can do for your own mental health, for your own soul health, is to call out to the majestic, wonderful, awesome God of the Bible. Hear me, I'm not saying call out to some vague, unknown God, not to a man upstairs, not to some force. No, you call out to the God of Bible, because He is the living God, and He is majestic. What does this word mean? In the, in the language, in the original language, when David says majestic, what does it mean? It means to be extremely good or outstanding, noble, mighty, famous, brave, glorious, worthy. I like this. It says a term that expresses a display of power that is awe-inspiring and even intimidating. David says this is who God is. This is what He's like. Now, your Bible probably uses the same word, Lord, in both places. Your Bible most likely says, O Lord, our Lord. But David actually uses two unique words in the Hebrew language right there, and I think they're important, so I want to highlight this. The first time he says, O Lord, he says the word Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the covenant-making God. This is the God who makes promises, who makes covenants with His people. That's who he's talking about in the first one. And then he repeats it. He says, O Lord, our Lord. The second time he uses this word Adonai, which means the sovereign God, the God who has the power not only to make a promise, but to keep it. He has that authority. So what's so awesome, what's so majestic about God? Man, he not only makes promises, he has the power to keep them. 
In 2003, the Green Bay Packers were, uh, oh, we got a Green Bay Packers fan in the house. We will pray for you, uh, the Lord. <laughs> I'm just serious. Uh, in 2003, the Seattle, uh, sorry, the Green Bay Packers played the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL playoffs. And the game was tight, and it, it was tied, and so it goes to overtime. And if you're familiar with that, at overtime, the referee has the team captains come out for the coin toss for overtime to see who gets the ball first. And so they bring the captains out, and the, the Seattle Seahawks, their captain was their quarterback named Matt Hasselbeck. And the referee's explaining, it's like, great, like, here, let me tell you how a coin toss works. So it's like, okay, I think we got that by now. But the referee explains the rules, and he says, okay, call it. And the Seattle Seahawks won the coin toss, and so they were going to get the ball first. And the referee asked Matt Hasselbeck, and he said, quote, we want the ball, and we're going to score. It's like, whoa, bold, brave. I mean, this is the NFL playoffs. It's overtime, win or go home. This is it. And he's like, give us the ball. We're going to go score. So what happened? Well, Seattle received the kickoff. They started their drive. Matt Hasselbeck dropped back to pass. He threw a pass, uh-oh, intercepted by Al Harris of the Green Bay Packers. He goes all the way, 59 yards, I believe, for a touchdown to end the game. The Packers win. The Packers win. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Matt Hasselbeck could make the promise, but he didn't have the power to keep it. That's all of us. Man, we can make promises all day long, but we don't have the power to keep. We don't even have the power to know that we see tomorrow. Here's good news for you. God makes and keeps his promises because he has the power to do so. He is the covenant-keeping, promise-fulfilling, always faithful God. This is who we call out to. That's why we call out to him. One commentator says it this way. He says, when you address God with these words, O Lord, our Lord, you've set a mouthful. You are valuing both his nearness and his strength. He is both relational and powerful. In other words, God is close enough to make a promise with you, but he's strong enough to keep it. The problem is, that, man, we're so prone to turn away from this majestic God, and we listen to the empty promises of the things of this world. I'll give you one example, money. Does money make promises to us? You bet it does. We've all heard those promises. Doesn't say it out loud, but money says, man, if you get me, you'll be happy. If you have this, you've got it all. You've got life figured out. Can money hold up this promise? Can money back it up? Can wealth, does it have the sovereign power to deliver on what it promises? There's a guy named Marcus Person. Uh, younger kids in here may probably know him. Uh, he is the inventor, the designer of Minecraft. If you've ever seen a kid in the last decade, like walking around holding a device, playing a game, it's probably Minecraft. This guy designed that game. He designed Minecraft, and in 2014, he sold Minecraft to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. It's not a bad day, $2.5 billion. And what does he do? Well, he goes out and he buys cash, a $70 million mansion out in Beverly Hills. I looked it up. What does this house have? 
has a 16-car garage, and he actually has a lift in the garage to, like, bring down the car he's going to be using that day. Has a wall of candy, and you can look it up later. It's, it literally is a wall of nothing but candy. He's got uh, an 18-seat home theater with 90-inch TV, state-of-the-art, eight bedrooms, 15 bathrooms. Do you need 15 bathrooms? Are you playing bathroom craft? I mean, what is going on here? And he's been throwing tons of wild parties, living it up with Hollywood and celebrities. Watch what he says, though. Marcus Person said this in an interview. He said, quote, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Hanging out with a bunch of friends, partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. That's one example I could show you many times over. And some of the people who come into the greatest wealth end up becoming the most miserable. Not saying wealth is a bad thing, but what I'm telling you is it can't keep its promise. Money can't deliver on its promises. It's not a promise keeping God. And what ends up happening is that you and I end up making promises to it. Man, I'll do anything to get money, especially in this economy. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever. We end up making promises to these false gods that can't deliver on their promises to us. Here's something to keep in mind. Money isn't majestic. Only God is. You want proper perspective? Then call out to Him. Some questions to consider here. How am I beginning each day? Opening my phone, going straight to the internet, straight to the everyday grind, or am I calling out to God first? Secondly, where have I been listening to the empty promises of other things? Money, achievements, power, fame, whatever it is for you. How can I turn back to the majestic God who can make and keep His promises? So the first way to have proper perspective is we call out to the majestic God. Secondly, we consider His creation. Go back with me to verse 1. David says, you have set your glory above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Pause there. David goes from the glory and the majesty of God to the splendor of what God has created and how it reflects back the, glorious, the glory of God. We could say it this way, from little babies to the moon and the stars, man, all of it points to the glory of God. All life points to the life giver. So let's consider some of his creation for just a moment. I'll take you through an example. How about your eyes? Your eyes are pretty amazing. Some facts about your eyes. Your eyes are made up of two million working parts. It is the fastest muscle in your body. That's why we call the blink of an eye, right? The only organ more complex than the eye is your brain. You can focus on 50 different objects every second. And how about this one? You can blink up to five times in one second. Go ahead and try. Yeah, y'all look amazing. <laughs> you can do it. You look really cool doing it. Um, and your eye can distinguish between about 10 million different colors. Man, the level of complex, intricate design just in your eyes is incredible. 
it points to the glory of the God who created you. I mean, do we look at anything else complex and say, boy, that just happened? Like, I've got this iPad that I'm preaching with, right? Do, do we just walk past something like that and say, wow, that just came together randomly? I'm so thankful for that. Oh, wow, that's amazing. No. We'd say this level of complexity and design points to an intelligent designer. The best explanation for complex, intelligent design is an intelligent designer. And you know what? That means really good things for you. That means, number one, you're not here on accident. That means we're not here by random chance. It means you're created by God, and you exist right now because He says so. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, and all of us are the work of your hands. He's the majestic God. His creation, even something as small in your eye, man, it points to how awesome and glorious He is. We could say it this way, God created you on purpose and for purpose, and that's to glorify Him. And so when David does this, he looks at like babies, and then he, he looks to the sky, right? And he marvels at God's creation. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Let's talk about stars for a minute. I'll give you some numbers here. On a clear night, it's estimated that just with your eyes, you can see about 3,000 stars. That's what I love being about out in the hill country, like a, when it's dark and it's a great night and you can just see so many stars. With your eyes, about 3,000. If you have a telescope, it's estimated you can see about 100,000 stars. Astronomers' current estimate, just in our Milky Way galaxy, there are around uh, 100 billion stars just in our galaxy. And of course, they're discovering new galaxies all the time. And the newest, the, the most recent number I could find, the estimated number of stars in the entire universe right now, 200 billion trillion stars. You know what that means? That means every single person on earth could have to themselves one trillion stars. That's amazing. Like, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I own uh, one trillion stars. What about you? Like, that's, that's incredible. Guess what Psalm 147 verse 4 says? It says, he, God, he, he counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Whoa. So what should we do with this knowledge? How do we, how does this impact us right now? I'll tell you what you do. Tonight, you go out and you look at them. Just like it says in Isaiah 40 verse 6, it says this, lift up your eyes those things we just talked about. Lift up your eyes and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Go out tonight and remind yourself of the glory of God by looking with your eyes at his stars. Consider the world around you. Questions to consider here. Have I spent time considering the world around me and my own existence in it? What best explains this incredibly designed world? Secondly, modern culture pushes me to think only of today and what I have to accomplish here and now. How can I, like David, cultivate a proper perspective by observing more of the created world around me? So we call out to majesty, we consider the creation, Finally, we cherish the visit. 
Go back with me to verse 3. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, verse 4, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the pass of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Think of it this way, 200 billion trillion stars, countless galaxies, and yet God is mindful of you. Does that not blow your mind? God knows your name. God knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows the number of years you have left on earth. God knows you and me. Man, we're rebellious sinners. We're ones who run from him, and yet it says he's mindful of us. One commentator says it like this. He says, sorry, sickly man, a mass of mortalities, a map of miseries, a mixture of dirt and sin, and yet God is mindful of him. It's good news for us. Multiple ways. I'll just give you three. It means if you have parents or family who don't pay attention, guess what? God is mindful of you. If you don't have parents or family at all, guess what? God is mindful of you. If you think no one here cares that you're invisible, guess what? You're not invisible to God. He's mindful of you. There is a God. He is mindful of you, and He loves you more than you've ever imagined. Now, we know that all Scripture points to Jesus. All Scripture points to the gospel. So how does Psalm 8 point us to the truth of the gospel? When Jesus was a young boy and he would read this, or Jesus as a young man, when he would study this, what would he see of his mission in this psalm? I think it's verse 4. David says, what is the Son of Man that you care for him? The word David uses, care, in the Hebrew language it means to visit. David is saying, I, I don't get it, God. <laughs> We're small. We're sinful. You're huge. You're holy. How on earth, how, how can you care about us? How can you visit us? One time I had my kids at the park on a nice November day. Uh, Caleb was six. Seth, our middle, was four years old, and Miss Kylie Jean was two years old at the time. And so I'm you know, they're all like on different parts of the playground and stuff, and so I'm watching, keeping an eye, you know, and uh, Kylie, two years old, was at this like uh, slide thing. She was trying to climb up this, this one thing at the playground, and these mean little boys weren't letting her. They were like, no, you can't climb up here. Uh-uh, you got to stay down there. And so like dad mode clicks on, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, all right. Uh-uh. Let's go have some fun with other people's kids, you know? And I start making my way over there, and before I get there, Seth, four-year-old, steps up, confronts these guys, outnumbered, he's just four years old, he goes up to these guys and is like, hey, she's my sister, you need to let her up here, get out of the way. And these dudes were like, oh, yes sir, yes sir, oh. And I was like, oh, let's go! <laughs> Y'all just got checked, pulled the man card, I mean, it was awesome. Like, Seth paid a visit to these boys to set some things right. 
and it did my heart good. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Listen to my four-year-old son. What's up? Kept me out of a lawsuit, probably. <laughs> Think Seth gave me a little picture, a glimpse of the gospel of Psalm 8 in that moment. Think of it this way. God is so mindful of us and our helpless state that Jesus comes to visit us with tender mercy and salvation. Jesus came to visit us to set some things right. It was a mystery to David. That's why he's asking the question, God, how, what is man? How, how are you going to do this? But see, through the Old Testament, God was over and over repeatedly telling him, look, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to save you. And listen, it won't be because of who you are and what you've done. It's because I'm glorious and I'm God. But I will. David, it was a mystery to him, but us, we can see it and we celebrate it at this time of year. The most amazing miracle of all happens years later in a little town called Bethlehem, also known as the city of David. God visits us. God comes down here. We call him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is born. Listen, not in power and splendor and glitz and glamour. No, he comes as a helpless newborn baby to some teenage parents in the backwoods middle of nowhere. There's a man, when Jesus is born, named Zacharias. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, Zacharias says these amazing words to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God visited us through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. God is so mindful of you that he came down here to live among us. He didn't just come down for the weekend. He didn't just come to visit and check the place out and then jet. No, he came here to suffer and to take upon himself the cost, the price of our sin. Jesus visited us to satisfy the righteous demands of God's justice and to provide the tender mercy of God's salvation. Question, how do I know that God is mindful of me? Answer, look to the cross. He has visited us with his very best. The truth is, guess what, man? We're all visiting here. Last I checked, nobody gets out of earth alive. It's pretty much batting a thousand. And guess what? This life is short. We don't know how many days we're promised. So what I would tell you is live this life for the glory of God who has visited you with his love. That's why David ends his psalm the same way he started it, right? Verse 9, he's back to praising him. He's like, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He couldn't help but praise this God. Some questions to consider here. How does the gospel of Psalm 8 encourage me today? Have I thanked Jesus for visiting and caring for me? Secondly, Jesus visited me when I was hopeless. How can I visit and care for those around me who are hurting? How can I reflect the love of Christ to those in my friends, family, and community? How do we 
practice a proper perspective? How do we keep life in the right frame? Three things we've seen from the text today. We call out to majesty, we consider the creation, and we cherish the visit. I'll leave you with this. Uh, In second century Rome, there was a Roman philosopher named Celsus, and he was seeking to discredit Christianity. And he wrote a book called True Discourse. And he said this, he said this quote, he said, the root of Christianity is its excessive valuation or care of the human soul and the absurd idea that God takes an interest in man. Can I tell you, I almost halfway agree with him in a sense, but guess what? It blows my mind too. It's absurd to me. It doesn't even make sense to me that God would take an interest in a sinner like me. And yet he does. And yet he does. And hear me, God just doesn't, he doesn't just take an interest in you, he has given his only son for you. Man, that can't help but bring me to worship as well. My soul matters to God, and yours does too. Your soul matters to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all life. Your soul matters to him. O Yahweh, our Adonai, O promise-keeping God, how majestic and praiseworthy is his name. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I I thank you so much for the people here today. And I just pray, Father, that you would just bring that reminder of your love and your care for us, especially to those who are hurting and, and feeling alone. God, I pray you just remind them of your love and your care. And God, that we would consider the gospel, God, that you gave your one and only son, the best, the very best that you could give to show your great love. And Father, I pray that it would bring us to worship you. I pray you'd hear us now as we sing to you. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.